Good morning. Welcome to another episode of CCT Live, Cape Cod Times Live uh, Facebook news broadcast. Um, coming to you every Thursday at 9 a.m. I'm news uh, editor Patrick Cassidy, and I'm joined today by Kristen Young, who covers the towns of Dennis, Yarmouth, their shared school district, which is always in the news, it seems. Cryptocurrency, uh, I'll throw that in there, and uh, ice cream. You know, it's it's a, a, a jack of all trades. You are, Kristen. Yeah. Um, we'll talk about some developments on that always tumultuous uh, DY school district front, as well as an update on the what again I'm calling the Great Dennis Ice Cream War. Maybe it's settled a little bit at this point, but uh, uh, still an interesting story. We'll also talk a bit about what we're uh, calling around here the spat spat between uh, Barnstable and uh, Mashpee, or at least two officials in those towns, and a potentially above average season for dolphin strandings taking shape in Wellfleet. We'll then take a look ahead at a story about some dredging out in the Chatham area, which is always a big deal. Um, and uh, you can take a look back at our past episodes at kipcuttimes.com slash cctlive or check out all our social media. Jumping right in here, Kristen, to uh, Ice Cream and Dennis, which uh, is really a, a hot spot or a cold yes. spot and someti sometimes if you Lots will for Lots of choices in Dennis. And, yeah. and more to come. So uh, what's going on here? This has to do with the uh, smugglers, uh, uh, a very popular ice cream spot and some changes that took place after a legal case. Yeah, so this is actually happy news for smuggler supporters. Um, the ice cream smuggler has been sort of without a home since last October when it closed the doors at its former longtime location. It had been there for about 40 years, and that was just about two miles down the road from where this new location has been proposed. The new location is sort of on the corner of Route 6A and 134 there, and it's actually at a former bank. Um, and what happened is the, the owners of the ice cream smuggler had applied for a special permit to convert that bank into a 35-seat ice cream parlor. They got the approval on Monday from the Dennis Zoning Board of Appeals, which means that the ice cream smuggler will have a new home for its 44th season. I'm sorry, 41st season. Mm -hmm. um, so just going back here a little bit, this, this has become sort of a big issue in town because of how it all came about. Um, in 2017, Carter Catalano and Paul Catalano, who own the ice cream smuggler, had sued the property owner at that former location, Patricia Hassett, who actually Hassett had founded the smuggler in 1979. They even built, she and her husband, uh, who's, who's no longer with us, is now deceased, actually built the building themselves okay. uh, where the, the smuggler was housed. Um, they opened the, the business there originally and later sold it. The Catalanos purchased it in 2005 from its second owners. They sued in 2017 because they said that the Hassets didn't give them a chance to renegotiate their lease before it expired. The Hassett family maintains they actually offered the Catalanos at least eight months before the expiration date, um, but that the Catalanos didn't agree to the terms. Then sort of what happened was the, the ice cream smuggler, even when the lease ran out and, and the lawsuit was sort of just beginning, the Catalanos continued to operate the ice cream smuggler at the location for well over a year um, with a the lease time, there. There's yeah. a lot of back and forth about who was who was right and who was wrong, obviously, and, and it proceeded through the courts uh, yes. on that track. Yeah, it went all the way up to Mass Appeals Court. They eventually upheld an earlier dismissal of the case that, uh, that happened through Barnstable Superior Court, um, and, and that allowed the, the Hassets to sort of reaffirm their, their, that they are the owners, they don't have any obligation to 
let the Catalanos continue to use the property or sell it to the Catalanos. Um, the Catalanos and Hassets reached a settlement that allowed the Catalanos to stay in that building through the rest of last summer, even though this this decision came down through appeals court in June, I believe it was. Um, they The Catalanos left the building, uh, their last day was in September, they left the building by October 15th. Good news for the Hassett family too, though, they have signed a lease with Cape Cod Creamery, so Creamery fans can go uh, get their ice cream at the former smuggler location, and now the smuggler will have a chance to open its own shop. Again, it is a rented building, it's not a building they've purchased, so it will be leased um, on the corner of uh, 134 and Route 6A there. And at Cape Cod Creamery, we were talking about this the other day, not not exactly the same thing as ice cream, or is it ice cream? It's, or what's uh, the... but So I, I, I spoke to the owner uh, who makes all his own ice cream. He sort of took some courses and taught himself back when he opened the original location in Yarmouth a few years ago. And it's actually sort of a ice cream gelato mix. Oh, there you go. Yeah. All right. I, I learned a lot about ice cream in general through uh, your stories on this. And, mm -hmm. and obviously, if you're looking for ice cream, there are lots of spots around the Cape, but uh, uh, now, essentially, one more in that Dennis area. So, uh, we'll certainly, you know, maybe we'll have to do a taste testing at one point of all the ice cream spots in that area and see, see what happens from that. there. Um, moving on here to uh, maybe a not so tasty story. Uh, a Barnesville official last week, um, Barnesville Town Council President, as a matter of fact, uh, James Crocker. Uh, essentially slammed Mashpee's uh, state-approved uh, comprehensive wastewater management plan. Wastewater management here on the Cape, huge deal. Everybody's been dealing with it with this 208 uh, plan that was kind of mandated. Um, and and Crocker essentially called Mashpee's phony or, or not legit. Well, it has some, it's a little bit different than some of the other plans that are in place, right? A absolutely. Mashpee, uh, which has kind of been lauded uh, over the years for kind of moving ahead a little more rapidly than other towns in developing their plan uh, focuses a lot on uh, some alternatives uh, to kind of your traditional sewer system, uh, specifically the use of shellfish uh, propagation as a way of cleaning the water. Um, and, and again, other places have looked at this. These are the types of alternatives that the state for many years kind of, you know, looked at skeptically as they were developing these plans because you have to reach certain um, limits of nitrogen entering the water enough to get too much into the weeds here. Um, and the question is whether there's any proof that this type of shellfish, use of shellfish, uh, had the, the, enough of an effect to, to help out your, your larger wastewater management. Um, there are ancillary benefits to having shellfish, obviously. You can harvest uh, the shellfish. It's, it's uh, it otherwise good for uh, water quality and the, the environment in a lot of other ways but whether or not it would actually, again, help with those very specific requirements. In any case, Crocker, uh, you know, came out, called called the plan at a public meeting phony, um, or at least implied that it was phony. He said, we're not going to use a phony plan. And, and he also referred to one of the Mashpee uh, selectmen, not by name, but said there's this, you know, selectman out there kind of thumping his chest and saying, we have a plan and everybody else should, should get on board. The person he was talking about was Andrew Gottlieb, who's, uh, who has been uh, a very integral part of a lot of the wastewater planning uh, around here. He was the head of the Cape Cod uh, Water Protection Collaborative uh, for many years. He comes from a, a, a state background where he had uh, positions with the state, um, and he's now... Gottlieb actually had some things to say about Barnstable's plan last year, too, didn't he? He did, absolutely. He, uh, he What had happened last year is Barnstable was looking at some changes uh, through the Board of Health, and, and folks like Crocker and some other town officials were hoping the Board of Health would ease some of the uh, regulations that are in place in a, in a part of town uh, surrounding wastewater management. 
Gottlieb uh, came out, um, I think, both as the executive director of the Association to Preserve Cape Cod, which is based out of Dennis, and uh, through the Mashpee uh, Board of Selectmen. And the Board of Selectmen, I think, as a whole, uh, wrote a letter. The letters from APCC and the Board of Selectmen in Mashpee were very similar, um, a lot of the same language. Um, so you could see that, you know, that Gottlieb was involved in both organizations. And, and essentially, I think he publicly said that, you know, Barnstable, by doing so, was going to put in jeopardy some of the water quality uh, management that had been uh, ongoing on Mashpee's part because they share a border. And that's one of the other things about this. These two towns have to work together because they share this watershed um, uh, that, and, and share a lot of uh, uh, different, Wakoy Bay uh, being a big one. Um, a lot of different areas that overlap in terms of water quality. So they actually have to work together, and that's been the d direction of a lot of this planning is to, to work on watershed by watershed basis versus kind of a town staying within its borders. Everybody likes to say, you know, water doesn't know boundaries. It flows across everywhere. In any case, Galib at that point was, was calling out Barnstable uh, for looking at the, this kind of easing of regulations. It you know it seems that uh, some of this has to do with again Crocker and 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 Gottlieb personally uh, uh, taking umbrage with the way each of them have have uh, talked about the other town. Um, but again, Crocker was very uh, strong. Uh, Jeff Spillane uh, reached out to to both men, and and they both in in follow up conversations seemed to kind of stay further away from kind of these public declarations uh, that had been being made. Um, Crocker even said, well, maybe my language wasn't really uh, the right language to use when I'm talking about Mashpee's planning. Um, and, and Gottlieb essentially said, you know, Mashpee has this well-thought-out plan. It's been accepted by the state and, and regional regulators and authorities. And, you know, like many communities, he admitted that they're struggling uh, to implement it and, and there are challenges, um, And but says they're doing the best they can. So. Uh, there's there's some questions about uh, you know whether again the shellfish uh, aspect of it uh, really will do what a lot of people have hoped it, it would do. Cracker said he had dissected it and I think he even mentioned having a PhD look at it of some sort. And now he's talking about a, a subcommittee of uh, the Barnstable Town Council uh, taking a look at Barnstable's plan and 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 making sure that it's headed in the right direction and basically trying to avoid any pitfalls that may have occurred in other towns. Like Mashpee, he's pointing out. So, so again, kind of a personality conflict in in some cases, but you know, having ramifications for the two towns because in the end, the staff on the at both the towns and the officials really have to work together on those shared watersheds. So we'll see where that goes. Uh, but it was interesting. I encourage everybody to read Jeff's story uh, and take a look at it. Um, have you ever seen a dolphin stream, Kristen? I have not seen one in person, no, but I it, know it's something that happens this time of year. And it happens a, a lot here on the Cape. This year looks like it's going to be a, a, a busier year than normal uh, from the numbers that we're hearing so far from the International Fund for Animal Welfare. Uh, and just, I think, yesterday, Tuesday, and, and Monday, uh, there were dolphins stranded up in Wellfleet. Um, and in some of these cases, unfortunately, as far as uh, a lot of people are concerned, uh, several of the animals died or had to be euthanized. Um, and the International Fund for Animal Welfare, based in Yarmouthport, uh, responds to, a, to these strandings. They're kind of responsible for responding to these strandings. And sometimes it can be pretty difficult. We're talking about the mud flats of Wellfleet. Um, and kind of anybody who's tried to walk through those, those types of flats knows how 
uh, tricky it can be. It can be dangerous because you can walk into that area and, and get up to your knees or get up to your uh, waist and, and not be able to get yourself out of there. Uh, they were using some interesting techniques. They had these kind of, I don't know if you saw the photos, like these pads that they were putting out, which I think were partially to, to get the dolphin on, but also so that they could walk out. So we had the, these photos that were taken of kind of a group of rescuers kind of all crowded onto this pad because it gives them the, the ability to kind of be out on the flats and they put one down and then they have to put the other down and kind of walk out that they way piecemeal. Themselves over exactly. And then and then they have kind of these rolling um, stretchers for these dolphins that they then put them on and bring them back up to the truck and if they're able to kind of stabilize them and, and get them into a position where they think that they're able to be released they typically will bring them over to uh, Herring Cove Beach. I think it may depend on tides and everything like that. Um, but so far this year, I think they had said that there were uh, 200, uh, as of Tuesday, I think there were 202 strandings. A uh, typical year is 250. Um, uh, so you can see we're kind of starting to get up there. And I, I think uh, the folks from the uh, International Fund for Animal Welfare said, you know, looking at these numbers, it looks like they're going to kind of go beyond that. But we'll see. Always interesting. I've, I've seen them out on uh, Cape Cod Bay when they're swimming, and, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of them. And it's really a, a fascinating thing to think of. Again, here on Cape Cod, we see a lot of wildlife um, to see a whole pot of dolphins going by. Um, but obviously, a lot of people get very upset when they see them stranded like that. Big story uh, this week, um, and and just really in the last two days, uh, uh, has been a development in the discussion about DY schools, Dennis Yarmouth schools, which you cover. Um, what's the development, and and kind of you know, there's a lot of backstory here. We could go back is, decades yes. uh, with this, but uh, kind of in brief. We always start talking about this, and somehow end up in 1973. <laughs> bring this up forward, but um, so this was a, a meeting at the Dennis Board of Selectmen on Tuesday. Um, <clears throat> Excuse me, Selectman initially declined to support what really was a key vote, and it was a motion that would place an article on Dennis's town meeting warrant that would seek to approve an update to the regional school agreement. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, but um, what happened was there was one Selectman who the, the motion also would have required Selectman to say they support that agreement, and there was one Selectman who didn't want to support the agreement. He did want to get it on town meeting floor, though. He initially voted to abstain from the vote because he felt kind of conflicted about those two parts of the motion. Later on in the night, when they were on to an entirely different topic, he came back and said, you know, I want to recall, I want to, I want to re-vote on that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and he did give the third yes, so that now this motion to, um, this article that would update the regional agreement between Tennis and Yarmouth, which has been a point of contention for years between the towns. Um, there have been subcommittees by town officials that have struggled with trying to update this. It always seems to end up stalling or one side doesn't want to give and, and then they sort of talks break down. Um, the school committee came forward and, and sort of said, you know, we've seen this struggle go on long enough. We want to sort of repair some of those damaged relations. Mm -hmm. They put together a subcommittee that in just about a month came up with this proposal. They've admitted it's not perfect, um, but they wanted to get the major changes put through as soon as possible because there's kind of a ticking clock here. And that goes back to a, another issue, which is that beyond just the regional school agreement, which dictates sort of how capital and operating costs are split, there's a proposal on the table to build a new regional middle school. Um, and that was actually approved in December. It's a $117 million school. It was eligible for about $44.3 million in state reimbursement funding, which is a hefty amount of money. Um, but it's been threatened recently um, by a lawsuit from the town of Yarmouth. 
Yarmouth uh, filed the lawsuit in February, and what the lawsuit says is that Yarmouth disagrees with the way, the method of approval for the new school. They said the school committee should have gone to town meeting to make to sure each of the yeah, town to meetings each town well, meeting. Yeah. Um, and, and they didn't do that. And so that's why the school should not this approval for the school shouldn't stand. That lawsuit has threatened that that funding, that forty four point three million dollars yep. from the state. School officials have to sign a letter of commitment to the project by April eleventh if they want to actually get that funding. That's something they can't do if there's litigation or even just the threat of litigation related to the project. Um, so really though, going back to the agreement, most people have said that Yarmouth doesn't really care that much about the method of approval that was used for the school. What they really care about is getting this regional agreement updated. The underlying agreement yeah. for the district, which again has been this bone of contention. Um, and that, that ticking clock, if anybody hasn't noticed, it's the end of March. So we're yeah, talking we're about another two weeks, weeks if that. Um, and, and again, the state uh, has the, the question as to whether whether the state will see enough progress here between the two towns in terms of the regional agreement, which is somewhat of a separate issue, in order to feel confident that that again that that commitment will be made by the April 11th date, or whether they'll they'll say there's enough progress that we can give you some sort of extension on that. Was yeah, yes, question. the the authority, the Massachusetts School Building Authority, has said that if they see concrete evidence that there's a resolution that they will give an extension to this, um, Yarmouth has actually come right out in a letter and said. The town will drop the lawsuit if we can get this regional agreement approved at town meeting. The problem is that both town meetings are slated in May, which is after the April 11th deadline. So it really comes down to whether or not this deadline will be given. There was another development on Wednesday after Tuesday's vote by the Dennis Board of Selectmen to get this regional agreement over the hurdle and two town meeting voters. And what happened was uh, school officials had a call with the Massachusetts School Building Authority. And during that call, they discussed the fact that earlier in the day, lawyers for Yarmouth had sent a communication to Dennis and to the school committee saying that they would, in effect, put the lawsuit on hold until after uh, town meeting to sort of see what the results would be. I think the hope there was that that would be enough to qualify the MSBA to say, okay, you can go ahead and sign that commitment letter. We'll, we'll kind of clear you up to get the money for the new school. The MSBA said that's not really enough because there's still the threat of a lawsuit there. Um, Yarmouth could reinstate the lawsuit after town meeting, so they said there has to be no lawsuit at all on the table. It has to be completely dropped if we're going to say you can go ahead and sign this letter. What they did tell school officials is to go ahead and file for the extension and we'll sort of see what happens. Um, I did speak with Yarmouth Board Chairman Norman Holcomb who said that he expects there to be more developments um, regarding the lawsuit in the coming weeks. Uh, it's really fascinating because you can see uh, there's a lot of different sides here. You can see at any given moment, you know, the point of one side or the other. In, in Yarmouth's case, over the years, uh, they've seen an increase in the amount that they've had to pay for the operational budget for the schools, and that's been a, a, something that they've seen as a burden, uh, especially as they're dealing with other issues mm -hmm. like wastewater and, and other high-ticket items that they've had to deal with. Um, and so they've had to go for overrides in, in various cases. Okay. It's gone in the past to a, a full district-wide meeting in order to approve the budget, which was under a tent in the heat of summer and, and very contentious. Um, and it, it, on, on their side, that's, you know, it's more money and they're, they're struggling with that. And Dennis, on the other side, um, hasn't had to, you know, put in kind of extra money, if you will. They've, they've seen their, their need to, to pony up kind of I don't know if decrease, but not increase uh, to a point where they've had to go for overrides in most cases. Um, and, and part of that goes back to, again, this regional agreement, 
where you know Dennis officials in the past have pointed out that Yarmouth is the town that originally pushed for this existing mm -hmm. regional agreement. There was a, an agreement before that that Yarmouth was struggling with in terms of what they were paying, and by pushing for this new agreement, there was a kind of a, supposed to be a transition over the years to something that had more parity in it for everybody. Um, and a lot of this goes to a lot of the mandates that are coming from the state. And then you can see that the state in terms of funding a new regional school and being wary of doing that in the face of litigation. It's, it's, it's you know, hard to see a, a, a good way out here, but it does seem like some of these efforts, everybody's trying, like, yeah. you know, to find a, a way to get through this. This new regional agreement would sort of stop some of that, uh, you know, the, the funding increases for Yarmouth because it would fix the percentage of each town pays rather than it being based on year-to-year -year enrollment changes. It would sort of gradually increase for Dennis over five years until it would be fixed at a 35% assessment to Dennis for operating costs and 65% to Yarmouth. And what school officials are saying is that if it continues to go by enrollment, Yarmouth's increases will be so much that the school district will have to start cutting back significant amounts every year just so that Yarmouth is able to meet its budget needs without constantly having to face these massive overrides. And so the best thing for the school district would be for Dennis to kind of kick in a little more. And that's that's the key is it's based on enrollment. So Yarmouth has seen, I, I think, more students come into, yep. their, into the system than, than Dennis, Dennis has. Dennis has had dramatic drops in recent years. Well, Yarmouth, I think this year it was like Yarmouth had 39 more students than Dennis has dropped, and I want to say by like 50 or 60. Yeah, and, and interesting, like with regional school districts like this, uh, in other places, even new ones, the Monmoy Regional School District, mm -hmm. you're starting to see some of that same sort of uh, issue play out between Chatham and Harwich in that case. So it's always, you know, uh, the case when you bring two towns together, you have two different governments, you have two different, you know, boards of selectmen and, and, and town meetings making decisions and worried certainly about, uh, you know, expenses uh, that you're going to probably, you know, hit a point where there's uh, some contention. But Again, the idea that it could affect uh, school services is something that I think weighs on a lot of people's minds. So we'll continue to follow that and, and follow your reporting on that. Uh, thank you, Kristen. Good job. Um, coming ahead, uh, we're, we're looking always at you know uh, erosion, the movement of sand on the Cape, and, and in Chatham in particular, uh, where you have uh, kind of the Nauset Beach uh, uh, come down to, to uh, the Chatham area. North Beach is what it's called there. Um, there's been, you know, cuts that have opened up. Everybody who's been following this for years and years, and it goes on for er decades and centuries and, and thousands of years beyond that. It's a, a movement of sand that's pretty natural, but it is affecting uh, people. It's affecting houses and it's affecting businesses. And Outermost Harbor out in Chatham uh, is is doing some dredging, and we have a reporter uh, looking at that and and what it is and and why it could, you know, be uh, a problem for that business. It's a marina. Uh, going forward, certainly if they can't get boats in and out of the channel there, it's going to be a problem. Chatham has issues with getting their uh, uh, fishing fleet in and out of uh, Chatham Harbor as well. So a lot to dig into there. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for being here, Kristen. I really appreciate it. Uh, tell your friends, share the link. Feel free to reach out to any of us um, on uh, the website. All of our emails are there, uh, keepcottimes.com. We're where news starts on Cape uh, Cod. Uh, until next time, good morning and good luck. <laughs>